0: And in the beginning, I'd like to mention that there is a way in which this word acceptance is sometimes used, in which it's it's almost equated with a kind of um, passivity or despair or resignation, you know, the sense of there's nothing I can do, almost a kind of hopeless feeling, which is, I would mention, not at all the way that i am using this word the way in which acceptance i think is used in the context of a spiritual path or a meditative path of course has nothing to do with any kind of passivity or hopelessness a part of nurturing awareness of course is not just to be aware of our inner world But nurturing an awareness which embraces the reality actually that there is so very much in our world that does cry out for change and for transformation. But we all know that in that that desperate need for change and transformation that exists in our world, that it's not actually more prescriptions, more thoughts, more ideas. It's not even more money or more time that is needed. That, as a, in response to the, the suffering that can exist outwardly and inwardly, what is actually really needed in the process of bringing about change, of course, is a real change of heart. And to find the inner, the inner goodness, the inner the inner wisdom, the inner compassion that can bring about change without ever rejecting or making an enemy of anyone or anything. That is our biggest challenge is how to bring about change from that place within ourselves that can be so still and so all-embracing that rejects nothing and rejects no one. There's a poem by Kabir, I think, which points to this somewhat. And Kabir says, The blue sky stretches out farther and farther. The daily sense of failure goes away the damage I have done to myself fades. A million suns come forth with light when I sit firmly in that world. Now in meditation practice we are endlessly encouraged to be with life, to be with each moment just as it is. To learn how to be present, wholeheartedly present with all things all moments, all events, all sights, all sounds, all changes, just as they are, and to discover what is real and what is true. We're encouraged to learn really what it means to be at peace with this moment, to be at peace with what is, to discover what it means to find that inner harmony with the true nature of each moment. Let it be. This is a kind of, this is really the unwavering instruction as a way of learning to find simplicity and peace in each moment. And all the encouragement and all of the guidance and all of the instruction that we hear in meditation can really be summed up in this one word, acceptance. What does it mean? What does it look like? It's very clear that acceptance is not a quality of heart that is born or gained or achieved through heroic and strenuous effort. In fact, in the search for inner stillness and vastness, it's probably more true to say that every day and in every moment something is let go of. Acceptance is not an idealized state somehow gifted to us after a lifetime of struggle we do not earn acceptance through suffering it is a practice a feel of wisdom and compassion and in that it is really a moment to moment practice it is about how we meet life how we meet life around us and how we meet our inner life acceptance is an art of peace It's an art of coming to know a very enduring, very deep, very lasting place of peace inwardly. It's learning how to rest in a loving and compassionate heart and mind. And this quality of stillness, this quality of vastness inwardly, is actually what liberates us from anxiety and struggle but it also liberates the world, it liberates events, it liberates the other people in our lives and world to be seen and to be visible for who and what they are. It is that sense of liberation from our fears, our anxieties, our resistances, our prejudices, our hatreds, our resentments, our desires, It is the liberation from all of that that actually allows for change, that allows for a transformation that is truly lasting, both inwardly and outwardly. And to learn about acceptance, because I think it is a learning, it is a learning, it is a practice, it's an exploration. And to learn about acceptance is about taking a journey in each moment and in each encounter. It is about taking a journey from delusion and illusion to reality. It's about taking a journey from all our stories and ideas and images about ourselves and about other people to the simple truth of each moment. It's about taking a journey from our expectations and demands to see what actually is right now. It's also about taking a journey from anxiety and struggle to a very profound quality of serenity and balance. And each time we make that journey, there is a price that we are asked to pay. We are asked to, to lay down the burden of our fears and our should and our expectations. Sometimes in making that journey to to acceptance and to what is true, we are asked at times to really be be willing to release some of our historical resentments and resistances and aversions. Now sometimes when we look at that, because some of these places, even though they cause suffering in our lives, we can carefully cherish and hoard some of our historical resentment and, and aversions and resistance. It's, it can feel like a very high price to pay, a very huge demand, and it may be. But it's actually not nearly so costly or demanding as holding on to all of that. It's far more costly, far more demanding on a to cherish and hoard those historical resentments and expectations, and should. If we were to take a moment to reflect, even on, our, if we could even imagine how our life would be, how we would be, if we carried within us no resentment towards anyone, no prejudice towards anyone if we carried within us no burden of fears or expectations, no images of how anyone or how anything should be. If we could imagine how our life would be if we lived in a way in which the past was not being constantly superimposed on the present. I mean, does that look miserable? Does it look like conflict? Does it look like suffering? Or does it look like freedom? And the simple truths of each moment are actually not always easy to open to, not always easy to embrace, not always easy to find stillness in. The simple truths of each moment are not always easy to turn towards and to really include in our hearts. But certainly we know know, the incredibly tragic and terrible things that are happening in our world the kind of suffering that exists it's not always easy for us even in our own world to open to and to embrace some of the changes that come to us some of the losses some of the events and experiences that are difficult and unpleasant it's not easy for us to embrace some of the difficult thoughts and feelings that we we experience. And the reality that very often in this life, we just don't get what we want. That's simple truth. It's not easy at times to open to some of the changes that happen in our body. When our bodies are frail, when they break down, when there's illness. It's not easy for us to accept that people not even ourselves actually is always obedient to our expectations and wishes these simple truths are not easy to embrace but actually we are harmed I feel far less by the simple truths of this world than by holding and cherishing and clinging to all our notions of how things should be how we should be how other people should be What is it that we are actually asked to accept in our exploration of what it means to rest in a very vast and still and inclusive place in our heart? We're asked to accept, to be with, the changing circumstances of our life. That life, our life, often or sometimes don't work out the way that we'd hoped. That we experience disappointment, that sometimes we're disillusioned. We're asked to accept that we can't force circumstances or other people or ourselves to conform to any other kind of idea or image or model of how we think we should they should be. We're asked to accept unpredictability, uncertainty, the reality that a life without guarantees is a life that we all share. We're asked to accept and to embrace all of the people, the truth of the people in our lives. Those from the past who seem to shadow us, who may have harmed us, we're asked to be able to embrace and accept the people in, the pre- in our present who we may struggle with, who we may feel some resentment towards or hurt by. We're also asked to accept the people who we love who aren't perfect, and perhaps most of all, we are really asked to accept ourselves. Perhaps we really see the the, the way in which self-acceptance the capacity to embrace our own being all of ourselves is so pivotal to finding a way of life that is at peace we have to embrace the simple truth of ourselves which includes our past you know sometimes we carry our past around with us don't we some great cart that we tow along all the things that we've done that we regret, all the things that we've left undone that we feel guilty of the ways that we've been wounded are, or the ways that we've hurt others in self-acceptance for also have to accept our present including those parts of ourselves that are less than what we would hope for that we would rather ignore or deny or pretend don't exist. We have to accept all our obsessions and our stickiness and our demons. And actually, this capacity to accept ourselves in the moment, without reservations, without conditions, is the training ground for finding peace and freedom in every area of our life. Without it, because without self-acceptance, we do see that the habit, the very habit of rejection, the very habit of judgment, the very habit of condemnation, is a habit that spills over into all our encounters and all our relationships. Without acceptance, we live in the past, if you've noticed that. That without acceptance, we actually find that we can't let go. We live in our history. When we relate to people, when we see people in the present, we relate to them from those wounded or resentful or hurt places, from the past. Without exceptions, it's actually very hard to make new beginnings with anything in our life. Instead, we see this continuity where the past superimposes itself in the present, colouring it, And that colouring of the present becomes the kind of history of the next moment that we call the future. And so we see that this kind of continuum, often rooted in pain, rooted in fear, rooted in anxiety, and the very journey of learning to be with just what is, to make peace with that, to accept ourselves, is actually to liberate ourselves from that continuum. Poet field. put it Set said out beyond the ideas of right and wrong there is a field I'll meet you there when the heart lies down in that grass the world is too full to talk about ideas, language even the phrase each other make no sense Ramdas put it a lot more simply he said I'd rather be happy than right Acceptance is self-acceptance, and it is this very powerful gift, the powerful gift of being with the simple truth of each moment, and it's surely one of the greatest challenges in, in our lives, and it's an art we're really not that well trained in. I feel that, like we're often, most of us are born into a culture where, where non-acceptance is the norm rather than acceptance. And that becomes a kind of culture that we internalize, you know, about doing well, about being better, about, you know, about becoming special. And when we look at what the standards and the values of a culture of non-acceptance are, you know, we kind of internalize perhaps the message that we need to strive, we need to make heroic efforts to become acceptable, to become lovable, to become perfect in the future or that acceptance is we, we have to earn it or win it by virtue of the efforts we make to fit in with models and standards of perfection I think mean, this is a very powerful mythology in our culture this, this, this mythology of perfection I mean I personally have never ever met anyone in this world who fits in with those standards I've never met anybody who who's perfectly you know who has the perfect body and the perfect mind and the perfect relationship and the perfect personality i mean maybe you have but uh, for me this is it's like a dream it's like an illusion that's promoted and and yet such a lot of unhappiness collective and individual unhappiness is created around that illusion of perfection that we can all kind of strive together To try and find I know when my daughter was younger and considerably less wise than she is now but as a younger teenager you know sometimes uh, she would get together with friends you know and I would uh, of course I wouldn't say I was eavesdropping I happened to overhear some of their conversations where they would have these kind of body clinics you know and and you know, they would look at each other, you know, and, and kind of be in this collective misery about, you know, one person one, one girl's thighs were too big and one person's bum was too big and another girl's breasts weren't big enough and another one didn't have the right hair, you know, and they didn't have the right personality. It was like this collective misery in <laughs> you know, deeply kind of embedded, you know all around this kind of illusion that somewhere there was this perfection there was this perfect way to be and i think we do get a lot of those images about the perfect body the perfect mind the perfect children the perfect lifestyle the perfect relationship the images are kind of relentless and i do feel that they deliver a kind of twisted thinking That somehow freedom depends on being perfect or that happiness depends on being perfect. And if we kind of foster that mythology within ourselves, we, we create an inner culture of anxiety. Certainly, anxiety is one of the responses to the, this kind of culture of perfection. The anxiety about not being acceptable, the anxiety about not being good enough, beautiful enough, not lovable enough, the anxiety about not fitting in, about being found to be lacking, the anxiety of being around being criticized or rejected or condemned. And I think one of the very clear consequences of a lack of self-acceptance is a surrender of authority, that we delegate authority to someone else or to other people who seem to somehow possess these valid standards by which we measure ourselves. When we're anxious, when we're anxious in this life, we often want to control. We want to control our world. We want to control other people. We want to control ourselves as a way of protecting ourselves. We don't want to make mistakes. We don't want to make ourselves vulnerable to criticism or rejection and control we see is really such a tension and within that, that control and that tension that there's often living this kind of background voice which is always measuring ourselves you know you can feel that kind of control because there's this inner measuring evaluating always going on about you know good, bad right, wrong better, worse ugly, beautiful all the rest of it The vocabulary is huge. And we see when there's that kind of measuring going on and that kind of evaluating going on, of course it's so difficult to let anything be, if it is. It's so difficult to let anyone be. In fact, within that kind of measuring and evaluating, I think our own intrinsic capacity for kindness and compassion is submerged in the fearful mind. In Kafka, our own intrinsic capacity for trust and for intimacy is at times submerged in the fearful mind. And we can be so desperately trying to protect ourselves, you know, that we don't protect ourselves. We actually make ourselves more, more failable, more vulnerable, but not in a healthy way. We, we find ourselves living in this realm of what if, you know, what if I'm disapproved of, you know. What if everybody knows I'm a terrible meditator? What if everybody knows I'm a failure? What if I'm hurt? This fear grows. The more what-ifs we have in our life is the degree that fear grows. And also the sense of disconnection. The disconnection from others. You know, when we're living with that kind of fear, of course the world feels actually quite overbearing at times and hostile. This power to hurt us. And the self-fear grows with the separation of me and you and I and other and inner and outer. There's a wonderful Zen saying that says, for others to approve of me is easy. For me to approve of myself is a head. I don't think it's that hard in this world to win approval, really. It's really not that hard to be approved of. I mean, if you're kind of nice and you fit in and you don't disagree with people and you know, you be who other people want you to be and you don't rock the boat, of course you get approval. Well, it's really not hard. You get affirmation, you get praise. It's not the same as acceptance, is it? I often think of approval as a kind of empty refrigerator. You know, you feel like, you know, you're really hungry, you know, and, and you you're going to into the refrigerator. Sure, you're going to get this wonderful meal and you open it up and it's empty. Approval is sort of like an empty refrigerator. I mean, you never get enough, do we? We never get enough. (laughs) No matter how much we get, it's never enough. We always need some more. Or we don't quite believe it. We don't quite believe it, I think, is the piece, Or or it's not enough to kind of heal that that underlying anxiety, that, that deeper fear of somehow being abandoned or being isolated or being unloved. To approve of ourselves is much harder, and we need to find another vocabulary which is very different than right and wrong and good and bad and success and failure. We really need to find the vocabulary of compassion, the vocabulary of patience, the vocabulary of forgiveness, the vocabulary of beginning again, the vocabulary of letting things be. This is something we can only find within ourselves. I mean, even in the kind of journey, certainly to find that inner vocabulary of more compassion, the old habits appear, you know, they are habits. But we learn to believe them less. We learn to dive a little bit more deeply beneath those evaluations and those measurements. It's something I read recently, I thought was quite lovely. Someone said, I may not be perfect, but parts of me are truly excellent. It's very nice, isn't it? Parts of me are truly excellent. You know, I think that's sometimes the practice of mindfulness. What an excellent step. You know, what a really excellent breath. That one wasn't perfect, but this was an excellent breath, you know. An excellent step, an excellent way I ate that food today. You know, that sense of appreciation how easily we are drawn I think in this culture of non-acceptance to almost worship imperfection you know in this very strange way to almost worship it how quick you know imperfection we are on the case you know nothing escapes our eyes but excellence we think it's menopause or we think it's some other you know weird aberration you know oh it was, it was a mistake you know I did that by accident it's not What is compassion? What really calls for compassion? Our world does. You know, if you think about what your inner world is, you know, as you move through your day, as you sit and walk, your world is about thoughts and feelings, sensations, memories, images. Your world is about the world of sights and sounds and encounters with other people. This is all what arises, it all appears, doesn't it? We're not in control of that. We can't be in control of that. Our world is constantly arising. But it is our response to everything that arises that creates really the kind of world we inhabit. And part of this reflection, this inner exploration, I think is this really important question of really asking ourselves, do we always need to be defined by the contents of our mind? You I think that's one of the most important questions in meditation. I mean, anger appears, aversion appears, you know, resistance appears, judgment appears, praise appears, um, thoughts appear, memories appear. How much really Do we need to define ourselves by the contents of our mind? If we do, that's what we are. I am angry, you know, I am guilty, I am fearful. If we don't, if we learn how to let things be, there is anger, there is fear, there is change, there is image, there is thought and there is curiosity there is interest it is very different it is, it is radically different it is worlds different because it is such a fragile and anxious way to live in where, when we do define ourselves by the contents of our mind because then You know, when we do, we're always endeavoring to control what's happening, what's appearing, and that's so futile because we can't. I mean, I'd like you to imagine a scenario. Imagine, and this happens all the time, I have to tell you, very often, anyway. Imagine going into the dining room at lunch. And you know the dining room is sometimes a place where people feel a little nervous. You know, people are very close together. There's a lot going on. You know, it looks like it's really easy to make a mistake, (laughs) and and it happens. The problem it does happen. So imagine yourself going into the dining room at lunchtime and knowing that it's a slightly worrisome situation. You know, you go there with the intention to be extra mindful. Right, that's your intention. Well, you know, there's a lot of things to juggle, too. That's the problem, isn't it? You know, you've forks and knives and spoons and maybe a salad bowl and maybe a plate with your dinner on, you know. it's a lot to juggle. And so imagine you're very mindfully trying to handle all of that and you drop your salad on the shoes of the person in front of you. How would you feel? How would you feel? You know, could you look at that and say, Drop salad? <laughs> or would you more feel that incredible sense of mortification? You know, everybody's looking at me. Everybody knows how mindless I am. Nobody else has ever made this mistake. You know, I mean, is it really the end of civilization as you know it? Or is it just drop salad in the dining room? That's the difference, isn't it? That's the difference, actually. That is really the difference between acceptance and these kind of inner models of should and perfection. That is actually the difference. It doesn't stop change. If so you go and you clean it up, you, know, you take care of it, you go, you get another bowl out. It's fine. The world is at peace. The world is at peace when we are at peace. It is really the difference. To try and control the feelings and sensations and thoughts and events that do happen in our lives to live in the fear is to live in the fear of being overwhelmed, which only invests greater and greater authority in them. And we can take a different pathway. We can actually learn to take our seat in stillness, learn to take our seat in a very deep wisdom, learning to take our place in listening, in learning. To to let things be, to embrace the world as it is, to embrace with compassionate attention whatever comes to us and we can accept. Wendell Berry wrote this poem, he said, I go among trees and sit still, all my stirring becomes quiet around me like circles on water. My tasks lie in their places where I left them, asleep like cattle. Then what I am afraid of comes. I live for a while in its sight. What I fear in it leaves it, and the fear of it leaves me. It sings and I hear its song. We don't always actually have to make anything perfect we can let go of control and we discover we're not out of control. Instead, we discover a depth of kindness and wisdom in which there is an opening in which everything is released. Another of the mechanisms of non-acceptance, of course, is aversion, resistance. The song of non-acceptance is judgment. When we listen to our minds and hearts, in a single hour, in a single day, we discover how many times we're singing the song yeah. of judgment. But so we can have so much to say about other people. You know, how they look, how they appear, how they dress, how they act. When we walk in the garden, we find how much we have to say about the world, you know. Never invited it, you know. Great tree, bad tree. You know, nice flower, that's flower. Good weed, reorganize this. You know, change the landscaping. We have a lot to say about the world. We have a lot to say about ourselves. In fact, this inner critic, very rarely, seems to take a break. And it un- we see the way it, it undermines energy, undermines faith, undermines, undermines vision. Jung once said that the most terrifying thing is to accept ourselves completely and the most terrifying thing is to accept ourselves completely why I think why is because to accept ourselves completely would really mean to radically transform all of the signposts, all of the guidelines all of the rules that may have informed our lives so far it would mean that we stop um, mistaking perfection and freedom as being the same because they're not It would mean that instead of asking ourselves what it takes for me to be perfect, we would have to ask ourselves what we need to let go of in order to be free. I think both wisdom and compassion really do teach us the futility of judgment. In fact, our whole life experience teaches us the futility of judgment. That it's a kind of passive terrorism that doesn't alter anything and it changes nothing. I mean, we can shout at ourselves, we can shout at the world, we can shout at the other people the whole day long, our whole lives long, and absolutely nothing will change as a result. And that's the so amazing thing, that we can put so much energy into something that produces so little. You know that we can shout so long and change so little. We can scold and blame and condemn, I, you, the whole world, to be different than it is, you know, I especially. <coughs> to be less dull, less greedy, more still, a better meditator, we can shoot ourselves endlessly. And transformation is never, never a result. Instead all we get is more contractedness, more control, more distance, more exhaustion. And this is not just a good idea, you can check this out. You know? Take an hour tomorrow. Do nothing but scold yourself. You know, do nothing but blame yourself. Do nothing but judge yourself. Dig out everything you hate about yourself. You know, name it, label it, condemn it, deny it, and see how you feel at the end of that hour. You know, see if you feel any happier, any freer, any more liberated, you know, or if it's just more dukkha. More suffering. Why is it more terrifying to accept ourselves completely? Because I think the search for perfection actually gives me so much to do in my life. It's a project without end. A lot of tasks, a lot of things to work on, a lot of ways to occupy myself, a lot of things to strive for, a lot of things to get rid of. All providing the fuel, essentially, for me. The rewards look enticing. Praise approval, belonging, being someone special especially, being someone admirable, and freedom is a very different journey. And set against this inner culture, I think, of perfection and becoming, I think sometimes that sense of what it means to let things be, to not be engaging in that pursuit of perfection, can fill us with a real glimpse of a kind of existential anxiety who would we be without our striving who would we be without our images who would we be without our models of perfection what would we do what would we work on you know I think we kind of envision sinking into this swamp you know becoming a bag lady you know ending (laughs) up no one you know disappearing in some way dullness or deprivation I don't think that's true I mean it's very possible that we may discover in the releasing of all of that project without end a very profound stillness and freedom of being which is defined and limited by no thing and yet which embraces all things I mean sometimes we sense that for a moment and then this doubt comes you know I can't I can't be without definition I can't be without limitation I can't be free because of all these things that are wrong with me and all my shortcomings and imperfections and maybe after I modify maybe after I fix all of this then then I will be free you know once I visited someone in a prison where the prisoners had the freedom you know to redecorate their cells you know pictures and curtains And it was, you know, it was great, it was a nice idea, but the door was still locked. It didn't make it any less of a prison. I think to be mindful and to really discover the freedom of acceptance, really we're invited to look at these places in ourselves and our lives, the people that we relate to and the places in ourselves where we feel the most resistance and the most judgment. the most fierce aversion. The fastest way to transformation, the fastest way to acceptance, is to turn towards that we have the most fierce aversion for. That's hard, isn't it? But it is the fastest way. Because those places show us whether we feel the least free or where we feel the most imprisoned. To, be, to turn directly towards that which we most fiercely reject is the fastest way to find acceptance. When we look at ourselves, when we look at those places, whether they're inwardly or outwardly, that we most fiercely reject, the person we hate the most or those closed rooms in our own hearts, you know, where there's greed and obsession. I mean, do they really deserve condemnation and judgment? Or is there a more compassionate, allowing way to be? We can find the space to hold this, the stillness to hold this, to see it anew. you. You know, so often when we're caught in the resistance and the, and the aversion and the judgment, we make everything old. You know, we say, I know you, I know myself. We make everything old. That is how we really carry the past. It's through our concepts and labels and judgments that are old and yet they're fixed and we carry them. To learn about acceptance is to like, to see things anew. To explore with mindful listening the reality that we can release those aversions. I think one of the greatest gifts in this tradition is the kind of faith that is really implicit. I mean you notice in our program, you notice in our program we don't say retreats are open to everybody except those who don't have the right bodies or the right minds or or who are from, uh, you know, uh, Idaho or, or from Yorkshire, you know. We don't say this, you know, the meditation is suitable for everybody except. And this is actually really implicit in this tradition, that sense of faith and confidence, that freedom is actually available to all. The Buddha once said that if I did not have the total faith that it was possible for you to do this, I would not ask it of you. Because I have total faith that freedom is possible for you, I ask it of you. And I think what we do in this tradition is that we learn to wake up from amnesia. You know, when we get lost (coughs) in these stories and judgments about ourselves, you know that our, our terribleness, our imperfection, basically all we are in that moment is a Buddha with amnesia. And this is a good thing to remember, but this is an amnesia moment. It's forgotten. Forgotten what is true. Forgotten what is real. Forgotten what is really free. We learn to sit still to sit still in the stillness of things, in the arising and the passing. We learn to sit still without condemnation or resistance. And we discover that peace is not the absence of the difficult, that peace is very often the absence of judgment, and that the mind without judgment is very close to realization. We learn to sit still and discover the transformation that is possible in each moment, the profound stillness of being with the simple truth of each moment. If we take just a couple of moments, right?